Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today our guest is the filmmaker Abby Ginsberg. She's the director of a new documentary called Barbara Lee, Speaking Truth to Power, that opens on Friday, August 20th. She will talk about the four-year journey it took to make the film and how she coaxed Lee, who was a reluctant subject, into making it. Unlike many politicians, Congresswoman Lee does not seek the spotlight and keeps much of her personal life personal. But Ginsburg managed to overcome that and coax Lee into explaining how the personal became the political. Oh, and don't miss the interview I did with Barbara Lee in a previous episode of It's All Political. And now, here's our conversation with Abby Ginsburg. Abby Ginsburg uh, from Martha's Vineyard, where you're there for an upcoming uh, African-American film festival to my home in Oakland. Welcome to It's All Political. How are you doing? It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. You, like me, are a constituent of Barbara Lee's. Uh, she's, been a, she's been a constant in our lives here in the East Bay for uh, a couple of decades now. Oakland, Berkeley, the East Bay. Why, why make this documentary now? Well, first of all, I didn't just make it now. I made it a few, I started it a few years ago. And I think the key thing about, you know, kind of my motivation for making the film was I made it before 2018. And, you know, we didn't have the number of amazing younger women of color who Barbara's been mentoring. You know, when I started this film, Barbara was kind of out there by herself with a few other members of Congress. And so part of my motivation which is odd and when we think about it now, but part of my motivation was to encourage some of the Ayanna Presleys of the world with Barbara's example. And somehow Barbara was doing it on her own. And here we are with so many of these fabulous, you know, young women of color who have now run for and won elected office. So now we have to keep them there. But part of my goal behind making this film was to think that here I had this fabulous representative who had this amazing kind of personal journey and life history and so on. And it was not, you know, for preordained that this woman was ever going to be an elected member of Congress. And so I felt like telling her story and explaining how she got from where she was to where she is now would really motivate other younger people to consider running for some kind of elected office. So that was one piece of the goal. The other reason I wanted to tell the story was I felt like I was represented by if not the best, certainly one of the best people in Congress. And I wanted more people around the country to know about her. You know, if I say, have you ever heard of Barbara Lee? Most people are like, who? And then you say, well, you know, there was one person who voted no right after nine. Oh, yeah, I know about that person. Well, they don't know that her name is Barbara Lee. So I started getting motivated about wanting to share her story more broadly. Um, and that's really how the thing took off is I, I, I knew that there was going to be an interesting story here. I wasn't sure what pieces of it would fit into my film, but I felt confident that if she said yes, I would be able to create a film that would be compelling about somebody that a lot of people don't know enough about. And you had one major challenge, and that challenge was uh, Barbara Lee was not into this. She was, she is, uh, just uh, talked to her on, uh, and, and she is, she's, I am a very private person. I've known this for years. I, she rarely talks about personal stuff. You can't, you know, some some members of Congress, particularly younger ones, are you know share everything on their Instagram feed. That's not her. How did you get her 
to do. And this took years. Uh, how long? How did you get her to open well, up? Well, the film took years. It didn't take years to convince her. It took, you know, it took months to convince her. It didn't take years. So the first thing was, she was like, well, why do you want to make a film about me? But I have to say, everybody I've ever made a film about says that. So there is a way in which the people that I pick are, you know, are as you sort of identified about Barbara, they're not the spotlight seekers. They're not the people who are looking for the extra, you know, press. Um, and so mostly they all have to be convinced because number one, they can't even imagine what the film would be like. And they don't really see, I mean, Barbara saw it as really an interference with the real work she has to do every day. And to some extent it was. Because if I'm saying to her, you know, uh, she's saying to me, take a number, you know, you're not the only person who wants my time, but, and I've got all these meetings in Congress and you want to come to Washington and film me in my office. Well, I'm not even sure I'm going to be in my office this week. You know what I'm saying? So right, it's like it right. required her to really make a commitment to sort of show up for some of the stuff that I needed. I needed to be able to film her nameplate outside of her office. Um, so I would say what worked to convince her is that her staff understood that there was value in this. Her staff understood that the film would help raise her visibility in a good way. And I think I, you know, persuaded her. I, the other thing was Barbara had seen some of my other work and I think some of that spoke for itself. Um, and what else do I think persuaded her? I, I, I really think it was a combination of her staff saying you have nothing to lose. There are not that many Congress people who will ever be the subject of a film. Give it a shot. And let's see if we can't use it to elevate some of the great work you do. So that was really where I was coming from. I'm like, this woman does fabulous work. She has complete integrity. She is not a you know spotlight seeker. And so let's see if we can't kind of hold her up as a role model. Two things I really enjoyed about the film, as, as, as I say, a, 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 not only as a constituent, or as someone who's known her and as her political reporter, is that, number one, you... Uh, People and I, you got a lot of personal stuff about Barbara Lee that she doesn't talk about, and I, I've even talked to other folks who have uh, seen the movie, and uh, and they they didn't know this about her. Um, how did this particularly uh, the abusive relationship she was in, and something she she really does not talk about? She told me it was in her book, but I uh, didn't know that. Well, I, let me say. I was limited by her book. One of the agreements that we worked out is that I could not go beyond the four corners of the book. Now, the good news is, as you sort of learned in talking to her, is that she's got some revelations in the book. And that's because in the same way that I felt like, look, it doesn't pay to keep all this stuff under the rug, even if all we have to, you know, we have to be able to mention it. And so in the crafting of her autobiography, her publisher felt the same way. Her publisher was saying to her, you have tremendous credibility when you talk about domestic abuse or you talk about back alley abortions or you talk about being on welfare. You have credibility. Don't hide it. Use it and use it in a way. I mean, don't you don't have to beat your you know, horn about it, but just talk about it. And I think in a way, because she wrote the autobiography first, that helped me because then I knew how far I could go what I could talk to her about. And I was perfectly happy to stay within the four corners of the book because the book is actually somewhat disclosing. And so that worked. And anything that went beyond it, I mean, you know, she's been married to people. I don't even know who they are. I don't even know their names. It was like, okay, fine. We don't need to go there. And one of the things that I would say is I've done, you know, a number of portraits and I don't do a lot generally about people's families. 
But in Barbara's case, the family family, you know, her two sons and her two sisters were really important people in her life and could, you know, shed some light on who she is and what motivates her and so on. And so in her case, I actually wanted to bring the family into the story, even though, you know, I often don't. So that wasn't a given either that I'd be able to do that. And I had to develop relationships with them and Barbara had to give me access to them. So this whole, let me say, uh, making a film like this, especially with a reluctant subject, is really a process of building trust. And that is what I, you know, just learned to be patient about. And so when Barbara says, you know, you're really perseverant and you're really insistent and you just didn't let it go. Well, but part of what was happening was to convince her, A, that I would treat her story respectfully, that I really respected her, period. and that I knew that if I waited, I would get more over time because over time she would trust me more. So what I could get in 2017 wasn't the same as what I was going to get in 2019. And so I'm juggling Barbara, who's resistant over here, and my editor, who's like, Abby, can't you make her do a drive around Oakland? I was like, no, I can't. So, you know, I, you know, the editor is like calling me every other day saying we really need this. And I know that <laughs> I'll get to it when Barbara says, OK, and not a day before. And and that's just how it had to be. And I think, you know, I learned a lesson about the value of patience in the making of this film. And Barbara probably learned a little bit of a lesson about the value of trust, because in the end, she thanked me for being trustworthy. Um, and in the end, you know, I was grateful that I was patient because if you had tried to push this river any faster than it was flowing, it would not have worked. And you got some really good stuff uh, in, in the movie, uh, in the documentary uh, because of that. She she talks about, um, you, you also have some great interviews with uh, uh, members of Congress, uh, present and past. Two of the most poignant, I thought, were with John Lewis, the late John Lewis, who said, you know, he regrets not uh, voting with Barbara Lee when she was the only person uh, to to stand up uh, against the authorization of, of use of force. And and Lynn Woolsey, uh, who also... I, I agree. Yeah. I thought those were both... I mean, Lynn, who said, I feel so bad that a couple of us didn't protect her better, right. because then it wouldn't have all been on her. And John Lewis, who said, I should have been with her. I mean, I, I when I went into making this film, I had no idea what anyone was going to say to me about Barbara. You know, I had a list of questions, and they were going to say what they were going to say. So I, like you, was quite moved by both of those remarks because I didn't have any idea what they were going to say, you know, and and there's a graciousness to John Lewis that is palpable when you're in the room with him. I mean, he believes what he says, obviously, but there was just a way in which, you know, he wanted to let me know how much he respected and admired Barbara and was worried about her. He was one of the people who thought she might be blowing up her political career right now. We'll be back with more of my interview with Abby Ginsberg. But before we take a short break, I want to let you know that The Chronicle has a deal going. You can get 26 weeks of full digital access for 99 cents. 99 cents total. That's like less than a buck. It renews at $3.99 a week, and you can cancel at any time. It's a short time offer, so do it now. 26 weeks for 99 cents. It's the best way you can support my work in this podcast. Go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. The other great thing I loved about the movie, uh, the documentary is, is, um, and as an Oaklander, I, 
I saw one of the co-stars of the film was Oakland. Uh, not I think only, that's right. Not only in the you know the scenes of Oakland and everything, but the spirit of Oakland. And do you could Barbara Lee be Barbara Lee in any other district other than Oakland and and Berkeley? And we should add. You know, that. I don't know the answer to that, but it is a really good fit. You know, this glove fits really well on Barbara Lee's hand. And I think you're right to say that her co-star is the city of Oakland and the people of Oakland. And, you know, when she refers to it as a tale of two cities, I mean, Oakland is becoming more gentrified. We are losing a lot of the African-American population. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when she's trying to speak Spanish at the, you know, Dio de los Muertos. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, in the fr- Fruitfield District, that. I believe that was, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but that, you know, that is, again, she was willing to sort of put herself out there and then says, okay, but now I'm going to speak English. Um So I don't know if there, I mean, I'm sure there are some other districts where, you know, she would be as beloved, but we are, I I do think as a district, we are diverse in the ways that really work for her. You know, she grew up in El Paso. That gives her, you can, you can hear her Southern accent actually when you hear her speak. Um, So I just think that there is a, a kind of bonding between Barbara and her district, you know, and she's been working for the district. I mean, if you start with her internship with Ron Dellum, so, you know, it's been close to 50 years. Right, right. That's a long time to be working for a district. And here's what I want to say about, you know, what it means to represent Oakland. One of the things that's in the film and that I thought it was really important to put in, and I didn't put in all the things that are like this. I just used the AIDS example. So at the point when we are as a country really talking about AIDS as a white gay male disease, Barbara is like, uh, excuse me. This is really affecting African-Americans in my district. And that led her to do this whole declare a a state of emergency in Oakland and get the Alameda County Board of Supervisors to go with her on that and so on. So her ability to both learn in terms of what's going on in the larger picture in the country from her district and to try to help her district, you know, with either some additional money based on, you know, COVID testing or HIV and AIDS related services, she has always had you know, a sense of, I need to know what my district needs, and then I need to fight like hell for it. And that has been true. And in a way, because we're kind of, you know, we've been through the whole journey of AIDS and HIV. Um, Just the fact that she was able to call it out, as, as Lisa Blunt Rochester says in the film, before anybody else was calling it out, is huge. And so I uh, and so and and so other things I would say, you know, that she's been very concerned about equity in the cannabis business. You know, and how do black people get permits in order to operate cannabis businesses? She's concerned about equity in the tech industry. You know, that's not quite here. It's in Silicon Valley. But there is a way in which her representation of Oakland makes her a kind of a a canary in the coal mine for ways in which other issues are going to affect people of color in the rest of this country. And Barbara is likely to call it out first try to do something about it, and in many cases, maybe create the model for what other cities are going to do when they say, well, you know what, we also have a Black American AIDS epidemic going on here. So I just want to say that that's Oakland because she is so close to the district and because she is listening and looking and watching and asking, but really listening. She sees it first. What is that? Is that her legacy? We, we, you know, we know the centerpiece of the film, of course, is, is her vote on the on the war. But the, is that her legacy is sort of being the canary in the coal mine to talking about these issues before 
others or what what is her legacy well, i don't i mean i think her legacy is sort of you know she's got a multi-platform legacy because it depends you know you could pick any issue and she would be there i mean i think there there are layers to her legacy you know writ large what i would say and why i made the film to start with is it she says you know i think of myself more as a public servant than as a politician okay how many politicians do we know that would say that a handful so that's that's a big piece of what makes Barbara Barbara, you know, and as I say, she's not a celebrity seeker or a spotlight seeker that also distinguishes her from, you know, 92 percent of all people who are elected. Then there is the issue of having a moral center and knowing how to access it so that your votes are in line with your belief system, your morality, your ethics, your religious beliefs, et cetera. She has a clear line to her in her gut about how to deal with these issues. And that also helps. And then beyond that, the other part of the legacy is something that Ayanna Presley says in the film that applies to Barbara, which is those who are closest to the pain often make the most effective advocates. Because if you're going to cut SNAP benefits and food stamps, someone who survived on them is going to be able to tell you why you really shouldn't do that. And so... You know, Barb, as I say, Barbara's multifaceted in terms of what her legacy is. But I think what 9-11, the 9-11 vote is emblematic of this morality ethics question. Some of the other things are emblematic of what it means to be close to the pain and having lived, you know, close to the edge at different points in your life. And I, I don't know, there's another theme here, which is like not forgetting where you came from. So Barbara talks about, you know, the challenge of being an African-American woman every day in this country and the resilience and the perseverance that is required for that, which she embodies in, you know, in large amounts. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just think in many ways, she's a role model on so many different fronts. And I think actually her legacy will be a many fronted legacy. I don't think she's going to be boiled down to one soundbite or one idea. And I, I really think it's important to see the 9-11 vote as, as emblematic of this much larger sense of what she's doing as a public servant. And part of that, what she's doing is to vote her conscience. And so in order to vote your conscience, you have to know what your conscience tells you. And so that's part of who Barbara is. Did you, uh, oh, by the way, did she have final approval on anything or no, it was just, it was very much independent. She never, it was, I mean, it was an independent film, you know, I mean, <laughs> there are times when you make an independent film and you make a mistake. I did one on Cruz Reynoso, you know, who recently died yes, and, yes. and there's a family photo. And I say something about, you know, he was the third son of 11 children and the camera pans in and it's not him. How did I, I mean, his brothers all looked alike. So I was like, yeah, that I had to fix. I mean. People like Cruz or Barbara or Felton Henderson, they don't get final approval, but they're they're definitely watching it to see if there's a mistake. So, you know, she didn't really call out any mistakes, but you have to share it with there are two reasons you have to share it with your subject. One is, did you make a mistake or is there something that really needs to be corrected here? And the other is you want them to be able to watch the film in the quiet you know, with only a couple of people around, because when they first see it in a big theater, which is where we, th that didn't actually happen because of the pandemic, but when we thought it was going to be in a big theater, it's too chaotic. And they really, they don't have the experience of what the film is all about. So in general, I share my films, but not for editorial control by the subject, but much more to say, this is the film you're going to see up on the big screen. I hope you like it. And if anything is really wrong, please tell me. 
And uh, was one of the early screenings at a, uh, a drive-in here in the, the suburban East Bay in Concord. One of the last, uh, okay. one so last drive-ins in the East Bay. So, Is that was that yes. it? Or? Well, here's what happened with the film. The film had been selected for the 2020 San Francisco Film Festival. Um, you know, when there was a lineup and so on. And then in March, so the festival was going to be in April. In March, we began to hear that maybe it wasn't going to happen. And by early April, it had been canceled. So yes, we March had, 2020. Yes, correct. So we had no screening of anything. Then it, it, in a co-sponsored event by the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival that has shown other films of mine and San Francisco International, they came together and said, well, why don't we do a screening at the drive-in? And as I said, I'm from New York City. I don't know from drive-in. So I was like, well, I don't really know about this. And, <laughs> and people suggested we just go for it because it would give people a chance to see the film. Yes. Well, given that I did not grow up with drive-ins, it was there was nothing wrong with it, but it's a weird way to see a movie sitting <laughs> in your car with the, you know, the bird droppings on the windshield. Yes. As we said, this so, is this is not a makeout movie. The uh the speaking right. truth of power so, yeah, is not. Yeah. So I mean for me it was fine. I was really happy people got to see it. And then we added some stuff to it, um, based on Kamala getting, you know, to be vice president. So there's a little bit about Shirley's Pearls and Kamala that's new. And you know, and the first time I'd seen it on a big screen was at the Grand Lake a week ago. I mean, that is literally the first time I saw this film wow. in a movie theater. What What was her so, reaction? What was the the congresswoman's reaction when she saw it? Uh, when oh, I know you're you know, probably I looking. I can't believe her her reaction was. I can't believe you didn't have a makeup artist with me. <laughs> I mean, her reaction was ridiculous. I mean, according to me, I was like, yes, hey, I never yes, have a makeup yes, artist, yes. but she felt like. You know, she deserved or whatever. I should have provided, you know, the hair and makeup people, which I don't do. Um, and I thought she looked fun. So I, I, I did too. Not, I, did, I didn't even notice that. She looks like she I always does. She yeah. is, you know, I think, I, I mean, again, I, I think she is young looking, vital, looks fabulous in almost every shot in the film. And so I don't, I just don't buy this. This is, you know, how we all feel about ourselves when we look at ourselves on the screen. Right, right. Um, and so I feel quite proud of how good Barbara looks. And I think, um, I, I, you know, I think people will be impressed and would be surprised, you know, that she felt concerned about how she looks. Yes, yes. She's a, she is a very, very young looking 75. Two, two things. What did you learn about Barbara Lee in this? And also, why do you think that is? Why is she underrated? She's been in Congress going on 20, 24, 25 years now. Uh, but I think it goes to what we were talking about. I mean, I think it goes to how she sees her job. I think it goes to how she sees herself. I just think she is not, you know, looking to be on the nightly news every night. She is looking to get stuff done. And actually, I think it's, I actually think it makes her more effective. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, I'm not judging anybody else who's in Congress right now, but Barbara's way of assessing how well she's doing is how many votes is she getting on a piece of legislation? She she sees herself as a legislator. And so I think that goes to sort of the heart of who she is. And, you know, her job is to be at a committee meeting or trying to convince somebody to vote a certain way, not being on MSNBC, even though she'll go on MSNBC when they ask her. So that I think is is relevant. You know that she really sees herself as a hard worker, which she is. And part of being a hard worker in Congress is trying to get stuff through. And so, you know, that's kind of her first test. And that's again. So I became extraneous. You know, I became extra work. It's like I don't really know that she wants. You know, wanted to deal with that. Um, 
So what was the other part of the question? Now I've lost. What uh, no, the other the other part of the question is is uh, what did you learn about her that you that that you know you've you've obviously read the book, you've studied her, you've been her constituent all these years. What what was give me one thing that you learned about her that okay, you didn't so, know? So you know, I mean, but I hadn't like reviewed a lot of footage. You know, when her, I I do feel there is something you know critical, essential, whatever about the nine eleven story. Mm-hmm. So one thing that gets to me is when she's talking on the floor of Congress about why she is voting no and her voice is cracking. That's the first time I've heard her voice crack. Yes. That's the first yes, time I've heard point. her on the verge of tears, mm-hmm, in the, both mm-hmm. in terms of making this film and in terms of all the other footage I've looked at for her. So it spoke to me about how deep those feelings of this is not the right time, you're putting too much pressure on us, give us some time to absorb what just happened to us as a country, we're in grief, we need to process our grief before you make us, you know, give up our rights to declare war, etc. And I just, I was with her, you know, every time I see that statement on the floor of Congress, it sort of takes me back to the whole story that I'm telling about that, just by virtue of how upset her she is and how upset her voice is. So that's one thing I learned. Um, I, I'd say the other things I've learned, you know, I mean, this thing I just said about, you know, I'm a black woman in America and life has been tough from the beginning. I'm not sure that that is something I went into making this film knowing was how she saw the world. Um, and so, and, and that's helped me see her more clearly. You know, I mean, she believes that her birth story in which her mother almost didn't make it through a safe delivery is critical to who she is and explains her racial and social justice orientation. Um, you know, that she's had to fight for a lot of things in her life and, and has been successful in overcoming a lot of things. And I think, I mean, she was a teenage mother, you know, I don't think I really understood what that means because today she's got these two fabulous 50 year old sons, but you know, my daughter's not yet 30. So there's a difference in, you know, how old she was when she had them versus how old I was. And um, it's not so much, oh, my God, what a hard life. It's not that. It's like what how she has processed all the experiences that she's been through and how so many of them come back to, you know, I'm an African-American woman in America. And as she would say, and still we rise. You know, and so when she goes to the border to talk about, you know, family separation, she's linking it to slavery and she's linking it to the experience of her foremothers who were separated from their children because that's what happened during slavery. So there's nothing kind of new about this. It's just reframed. Um, So, you know, I feel like what did I understand better? I understand the journey better. I understand how she thinks about her own life better. I understand the role her mother played in her life better because you, it's like, you don't, I mean, you have ideas about this when you start a film, but you don't, you don't, you haven't internalized it. And you make a film about somebody over a course of several years, you begin to internalize their story and see how the various pieces of their jigsaw puzzle fit together. And so that's, you know, I, that's what I learned is how, how do the pieces of her life fit together in a way that enable her to be such a strong advocate for so many different issues and for so many different people today and to actually have quite 
a degree of influence. I mean, that's why it's so important that, you know, we understand that the upcoming elections really matter because people like Barbara are in a position of authority right now. And that will change if we don't keep the house. And that, that was, uh, and putting together the, the piece of the jigsaw puzzle were, was very helpful to, to folks, uh, who, who've known her at, uh, as a, as a, as a member of the house and, uh, and before that in the legislature, and, and it really filled in some gaps. Um, uh, the film is called Barbara Lee Speaking Truth to Power. It uh, opens in theaters and online on August 20th, correct? Correct. <laughs> okay. Abby Ginsburg. It will be available on Amazon and iTunes. So we want people to watch. If you can't go to, it's actually going to be available in theaters in the Bay Area. So it'll be at the Shattuck. It'll be at the Roxy. And Barbara will be doing a Q&A on August 26th after the 645 show. And um, it will be in Sebastopol. So the Bay Area is, you know, the theaters in the Bay Area are screening it, which we're very grateful for. So that's great. Terrific. Uh, Abby Ginsberg, thank you for being on It's All Political. And good luck with the film. Thank you so much for doing the story. Take care. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Abby Ginsberg for being here today. And a reminder to check out our interview with Congresswoman Barbara Lee on a previous episode of It's All Political. I'd like to thank the king, Webby Award-winning producer King Kaufman for producing today's episode. And of course, we always throw a shout-out to our fabulous theme music. That song you're listening to right now is called Cattle Call, and it was written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter if you don't like to talk about your personal life or if you post every meal you've ever eaten on Instagram, it's all political. It's all political.